2020 was a tumultuous year. The question we must all ask going forward is simple. What values, ethics, and behaviors from the old world are we going to preserve? And what new perspectives are we going to embrace as we build our future civilizations? This is the New World Podcast with Ariz Kaki and Akio Samji. Welcome back to the New World Podcast. I'm your host, Aris Kaki. And I'm your host, Akhil Samji. Our guest today works at the forefront of innovation within the field of precision surgery and the 3D printing revolution. She currently works at TechFit as the growth coordinator, a company that aims to make surgery more precise, safer, and faster by leveraging the technology and power of 3D printing and virtual planning. She has had experience at various companies working as an application engineer, essentially being hands-on with developing solutions to provide to academia, hospitals, and potential clients. She joined us today to speak to the future of 3D printing in the surgical space, as well as provide us with a bit of insight in her work to build a democratized future within the surgical space. With that all said and done, joining us from Colombia, I would like to welcome to the show, Ms. Melissa Cardona. Welcome. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here. So before we begin, is there anything else you'd like to share about yourself with the audience? Well, beyond that, I am a mechanical engineer. And I also have a master's degree in mechanical engineer. Okay, cool. And yeah, that, that leads me to my first question. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what made you interested in pursuing those degrees? Well, I think it's something that I, I have from the beginning. When I was a kid, I, I always wanted to, to join the engineering and also the health part. But I didn't want to be a, a doctor or a surgeon or to be really involved in the in the medicine in that really specific way. So I start looking for options. How can I join both parts? How can I use the knowledge that I have building things or designing things, but all but with a really focus in health. So I decided to, to start in a research group at my university and it was a biomechanics uh, research group and there everything starts. So mm. I start and understanding how can I join both teams. Mm. So you said that you had a uh, your an engineer mechanical engineer by training. So that was your undergraduate degree, your bachelor's degree in engineering, correct? Right. Right. Okay. And then that's where you said you found the studying group. So what was exactly like the initial project or the initial exposure that you had to biomechanics in particular? Like I know you just mentioned that you did weren't interested in like becoming a doctor or becoming or becoming super invested in the process that it took to become or study like to become a doctor or a nurse or some or a healthcare practitioner um what was that turning point for you like were you on that trajectory from before that oh i don't want to be a doctor or were you considering joining medical school but then something happened well <laughs> i didn't consider to be honest to to study medicine so i just wanted to to help more in the health system so my first project or the first steps was with uh, people who has transfemoral amputees. Uh, this is a really common thing here in Colombia because of different situations uh, beyond violence or diabetes. That is like the two more things common or the more incident things here. Uh, so I started working uh, in a 3D preparation of the tomographies. So what does it mean? I, we have a uh, group of patients that was the, the group of patients from uh, my teachers or my um, 
at my PhD teachers, uh, they were studying the incidence of the usage of the prosthesis. The incidence in the patient, especially in the health of the bone, because there was, uh, at that moment, it was in 2011, uh, there was um, like a hypothesis that the prosthesis was not so, uh, like a good idea for the patients because it was creating damage in the bone. So everything starts with that hypothesis and we start reconstructing the CT scans of the patients, of the amputees patients, becoming that in a 3D model. And then our other colleagues in the PhDs and the masters start creating some simulations. So at that point in 2011, I was so young. I was just mm -hmm. trying to understand what was happening with those patients. And then in retrospective, I, I really feel or I really connect uh, with that kind of solutions because from a computer or from a um, really engineering thing, I was able to help a really specific group of patients. Mm -hmm. So that's something to, to summarize. For sure. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I wanted to, you, you were talking about 3D printing and prosthetics, and I know you work with that in your company. Could you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Well, currently um, I'm working, so the topic is surgical planning or digital planning and 3D solutions or the 3D design of the patients. So everything starts again with the CT image. So what we do is convert those images into 3D models and taking into account that 3D model, uh, we start designing like a cut design. So we use the surface of the bone of the patients. We use the, um, like all the anatomical 3D model and we start creating solutions. What kind of solutions? Um, it can be, for example, for trauma. Uh, if we have a fracture, a really specific fracture or a malunion that happens when a fracture didn't came in the right way, uh, we can create kind of virtual osteotomies. An osteotomy is like the cut of the bone, the bone, sorry. So we create the planes that will cut the bone. And at that point, we are able to rotate, translate, or to organize the, the bone according with the specifications or according with the designs of the, the surgeons. Uh, all the processes together is an engineer and a surgeon because we have the tool, we have like the design knowledge, but of course, of course, all the clinical aspects are from the medical side, from the surgeon. So those um, implants or those uh, things that we create uh, on the software are patient specific or patient match. Um, like because it's a really, really new solution only for that patient. And patient match is more, for example, the cranial place. That is something that is more standardized. Even if we design, we design the cranial plate only for one patient, the process is the same for all the other patients. I'm not sure if you, you get my idea. Yeah, so it's more. You're you taking. You're saying that the company's moving towards a favor, favoring personalizing all these surgical processes compared to like a one size fits all industry standard, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the thing. And actually, our idea is to make that custom idea the new standard. 
because if we try to standardize, everyone is not reality. It's not a good treatment for for all of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then moving on to before we get to TechFit, uh, in terms of uh, working your, at the previous company, Materialize, as an application engineer, uh, what was the difference between your role currently at TechFit as a growth coordinator and as an application engineer at Materialize? So was that was that uh, was that position a bit more hands on, like in terms of actually working with uh, patients and the the subject at hand, so patients or these patients that require prosthetics in particular, and being able to conduct these CT scans with physicians in the room or uh, is or is your current like position a bit more like what what is the difference between your positions now? Okay, so as, as an application engineer, my work was to to train the users of the materialized software. So despite I wasn't creating like, like the solution for a specific patient, I was able to train companies, to train hospitals, or to train some universities that way that they were able to do the designs, the surgical planning, yeah. or do everything with the software. So of course I was uh, involved in all the questions regarding how to do this or how can I improve or how can I be more efficient doing my designs. Uh, I was, or I am able to, to answer that. Uh, it was my role as an application engineer. But then I move on a little bit more for marketing and sales because uh, besides doing the technical part, besides understanding the requirements of the people, understanding the technical stuff, I was able also to to sell the software, to offer the solution and to find different like market opportunities. So I start uh, at that point in materials, I started moving to more commercial role. And then I finish as an account manager there in Materialize. And now I'm totally uh, as sales and marketing in TechFit mm-hmm. as a growth coordinator. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about Materialize. How is it different from other CAD softwares like Fusion 360 or AutoCAD? Yeah, and the main difference is called It's not parametric. Doesn't mean that we work from the surface. We were able to struggle with the software. You are able to extract the surface and to design from the surface. And you are able to work with really organic shapes, really difficult shapes that you are not able to work with a parametric software. A parametric software is more intending to, to work with a really specific shapes like a sphere or a cylinder or a box, something that is not organic. And the thing is that the human body or veterinary cases or the things that you are going to 3D print are organic, has different surface that is difficult to handle with parametrics. So that is like the main difference and that is the advantage because you want to create a really different a surface and you want to print it to become physical. And there is a really nice match between that. Because otherwise, if you have really difficult shapes, you will not be able to manufacture in using, I don't know, CNC or using molds because it will be more um, take time consuming or more expensive. And the idea is that you can go direct with a 3D printed machine. Mm-hmm. And moving into, going a bit further into CAD software, so I know you mentioned non-par- uh, non, non-parametric and parametric software. So um, 
if when it comes to the industry standard in particular the uh, sort of the competitors of your company is it sort of like main uh, sort of uh, standard across the board when it comes to startup companies that they use uh, parametric softwares or is it uh, solely like your company's advantage or your competitive edge over other comp competition that they use in particular parametric software versus non-parametric software because I think it's for most people even if it's students at university or uh, regular firms that use CAD software, they're probably using like Fusion 360 or CAD, right? Which is the most like available softwares or open source softwares that people can use. So do you think that is that the competitive advantage that your company has? I think so, yes. Um, and also there is a difference between an open source and a paid software and is the support. The support is really important when you are starting, even as an start, a startup company or if you are growing with a new product or whatever, if you have that support from the manufacturing uh, company or the company of the software, it makes a difference mm -hmm. because you know that you will be able to move forward faster uh, to create your products. Uh, I won't say that one software or the other one will be bad or not. It's more about the, um, the time consuming in the learning curve. It's more about the the final um, product that you will design. So it's more about that. And um, zooming in back to um, so the, the, to the 3D printing evolution, um, in terms of uh, your specialty within uh, 3D software, uh, is this is a relatively new phenomenon, this idea of personalized, I, I guess, synthetic manufacturing from like a very basic, like something that's been, as, as you mentioned, a, more, a bit more open source for companies in general, because the idea was that, well, you had like industry leaders or prosthetic company leaders who would build this one size fits all. And that was sort of like the standard, right? That was like how it's been done for maybe decades, right? It's only now that we're seeing the innovation curve kind of steepen. And that probably can, I can juxtapose that with the 3D printing revolution. Um, in terms of the timeline per se of the rate of adoption for the 3D printing technology, um, how how was the timeline looking like? Because like there was this initial thing with with all of us in terms of all of, our, all of our exposure to 3D printing as being this new phenomenon, like in the early 2010s, and the timeline all these years later, so roughly about 10 years later, um, how has the uh, technology changed? Like has the price or the access uh, to the technology gotten? like lower, has a price gone lower? So more companies and more individuals have access to it. And some of these um, medical companies in particular took an application that was supposed to be just for most people, just a hobby, but have made a commercialized use out of it. So could you guide us through that timeline? Yeah, um, so the technology is getting cheaper in terms of the materials that are available for printing in terms of the machines itself and also because uh, there is a lot of investment in creating more uh, small machines or more specific machines to uh, to print different materials so uh, in this so i have a, a number here that i was reading in the vais research uh, they say that in 2015 2015 it was the highest market of revenue in the medical implant segments. I'm talking about only medical solutions because it's my, my market. But if you split like the, this uh, 20 years, in just in the half, so you will see them are really nice 
like wrote at the beginning and something that is uh, sorry i don't know how to say that in english <laughs> it, like an ex it expedites there was like an inflection point yeah it would it, it will it was an inflection point in the 2015 because of a lot of companies was querying machines and one big companies were buying and other small companies regarding the materials, regarding the 3D technologies. Uh, so that revolutioned the, um, the 3D printing process. So it was more for all the other companies. But in terms of the software, uh, the prices are really similar or even getting a, a little bit uh, higher. But not only the softwares for the design, but also the software for analyze the medical image because they have to be compatible. They have to be, it's like a, like a chain. So everything starts with the medical image reconstruction and then you can go to design. So it, in terms of the software, I don't feel or I don't see like a decrease in the prices. Uh, as I see, it happened with the 3D printed machines itself, like in the hardware. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask, how do you think uh, countries around the world can adopt like uh, materialize like that software to do individualized prosthetics? Well, it can be materialized or it can be any other software in the market. How can they uh, start working with? So the, the key is the education. So if, if you are able to use it or to use the educational package in, at university, if you are doing your career, even as a surgeon or mechanical engineer or biomedical engineer, if you are able to train yourself at university, then you will be able to um, put in practice or to develop uh, your products once you are out the university. So I guess that is the, the key point to train the people, but from the university, not only if you are there at trying to start your company from, from scratch. Mm -hmm. And um, moving on to, uh, I want to move back to the in industry standard versus uh, sort of your company's leadership or in pioneering the innovation. Um, in terms of the specific materials that your company, that the, your, uh, your company actually uses. So what is the difference that one could expect, like as a patient, for example, or as a, a patient awaiting a prosthetic? What what is the I guess the main difference in particular with the synthetic materials? Because often when we see in three D printers, like majority of us have seen, like the the ones that us two know about. When you hear the word three D printing, we think of those like cool videos that they print like weird shapes or whatever. But um, what's the synthetic material like? What's unique about this prosthetic that makes it a bit more effective than the current standard material is, whatever that material may be. So it will depend on the solution that you're looking for. If you are looking for a an implant or a plate or a, something that will be uh, there in your body forever, the materials are not different. We are using titanium as the regulation, mm -hmm. uh, as a standard implant. Why? It's because we need biocompatible things. We need that uh, the mechanical res resistance is okay. Like we need to, um, to cover everything. So the titanium it doesn't matter if you are doing by CNC or, yeah, or 3D printing. But in terms of the other solutions that didn't exist in the past, like surgical guides, for example, that are 
things that you use during the surgeon to guide an osteotomy or to guide an screw. That's something that is useful for, for the surgery time. And then you have to remove them from the, the patient and throw it off. So th those surgical uh, guides are made by polyamides. It's a material that is compatible with the body, but it's not able to, to be implanted. So it's something to make a difference. Another material that is that has the same uh, resistance or the same mechanical properties is the PIC and also the PMAA. So there are materials that are used also with a standard uh, plate or standard procedures and also to for 3D printing. So the difference is not during the material, the, different, the main difference is in the design. That is something that was made for you. So you don't have to worry because it will be too large or too small for you because it's, it will fit. It will be like a unique fit for you. Mm -hmm. So that is the main difference. And also uh, like the most advanced things are the porosity um, titanium, mostly the porosity implants. So it will help or it, it is intending to produce bone growth inside the implant. So what we are looking or what the industry is looking is that you don't need a second or a third surgery to re reposition your implant or to organize your screws because your bone will grow inside the implant. So everything will match and you don't need any other intervention in the future. So it's something that you can do using 3D printing. Otherwise, it's really difficult to, to create or to manufacture those kind of implants. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the application of your company software in the, the healthcare system, as you mentioned, that you could use these surgical guides to guide physicians while they're in the process of actually doing the surgical operation. <clears throat> um, I want to bring the patient into question. So, so currently the industry standard in terms of why your company stands out from others is um, the role of the patient, like specifically in, in traditional healthcare systems, the, the, it's all surrounded around the patient, right? Or, or the population at, at question. And in the past, it's always been like the physician is in a, in a state of authority from a, an expertise sense. And so since the physician, I guess, knows best, um, it's generally been that the patient has sort of been out of touch with the whole process of knowing what's exactly with the, going on with, the, with their surgical uh, procedure, stuff like that. Um, where does the patient come in with regards to this new solution? Because and it will depends of the surgery that it will get. In terms, for example, of orthognathic surgeons, or orthognathic is when the maxillofacial uh, bite is corrected. Um, It's really early in the in the process with the with the patient, and you organize like different expectations. But in terms, for example, in trauma or in oncology, uh, the most important thing is to save the life and to return the quality of life for the patient. So the patient is involved. Um, in my experience, most at the end of the the planning or the surgical planning, because the patient plays a role to to listen. Okay, this is the surgery that you are going to uh, to receive. This is the procedure that we are going to do. This is the final result that we are expecting to have after your your surgery. So the patient plays a role uh, at the at the final stage, 
And in our experience, we see that it is really important for the making decision process. I'm going with this surgery or not. So it's important because sometimes the patients get really afraid of the situation. They don't understand what's happening. They don't understand if it's secure or not. And if the surgeon shows the patient, okay, this is a procedure. We have planned this. We have these options. We have everything ready with like a plan B, plan C, with everything really organized. It is security for everyone, not only for the patient, but also for the surgeon who feels and knows that everything can be reproduced from the computer or from the digital planning to the OER. OER. And I wanted to talk more about the future of 3D surgical tools. Where do you see this going? Okay, uh, this is moving really fast to the virtual reality. So, and also the robotic things. So there are a couple of uh, procedures that are becoming or doing only uh, for robots and not for like a human surgeon. So I think that everything is moving really fast to that point. And also the simulators for the surgeon's trainings, Mm -hmm. because most of the time they don't they received some really strange cases that they were not able to practice when they were studying or it is the first time uh, with that pathology in that hospital. Mm-hmm. So it, they are able to train themselves using 3D anatomical models or they are able to plan all the procedure virtually. So it's something that will help them to have the security and to perform the surgery. So they they are moving to the digital part. It's a step that they are doing mostly in maxillofacial departments, then in oncologies and orthopedics. But more t- uh, in this uh, surgeons are also getting more and more in touch with this kind of surgical planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to go back to what you just mentioned regarding the simulation software. Um, currently, of course, it takes much more computing power to get the most accurate simulation data. And we know that other, by studying other trends like the adoption of well, machine learning and AI at a faster rate, that'll probably help towards, I guess, building more accurate because there's going to be more real-time data coming in. But where do, do you see that the that another thing that has to be maybe improved, like on a perpendicular or like a parallel industry, i.e., for example, the power of computing? Do you see... Uh, uh, sort of the advancement into maybe per se quantum computing or being able to sort of build much more realistic simulations based off of stronger hardware and stronger infrastructure. Do you think that will, uh, in the fu- like in the near future, contribute to better or more accurate uh, simulations or maybe uh, moving on from maxillofacially to, let's say, for example, precision in the skull and the brain, which is a bit more of a sensitive area? Actually, yes. Uh, and it is something that, will not happen in the future. It's something that is happening today. Mm. So for, for example, in our company, uh, all the implants that are made for orthopedics uh, go before orthopedics and also in maxillofacial. They go through ANSIX. ANSIX, for example, to do a simulation, a stress simulation. We need to understand where are the the weakest points in the implant so we can redefine the design and propose another geometry or another material or whatever. So we can have um, 
really good perform um, implant at the end. So indeed, it's something that will get more and more, yeah, like get more better results in the future, of course. Uh, but it's something that is happening right now. So it's indeed something important. And also something that is growing really fast is the um, uh, fluid simulations because it's something difficult to understand. For example, our blow flow, uh, what are the restrictions when you have aneurysms or when you have uh, some damage in your vascular system. So understanding that from the virtual uh, like, like the virtual process or to have the digital simulation is really important. And also to simulate how the flow will change if you use one valve, for example, or another one. This is something that is really important and something that is happening right now. And we expect to, to have like better results in the near future. Mm -hmm. So you just mentioned uh, something that I wanted to touch upon, which was the sort of fluid simulations. Or, and in your expertise, as you mentioned prior to this interview, that um, the main sort of area of study would be fluid dynamics in that, in that sort of category, right? And the ability for these, well, I would say this area of study to be applied in a simulation sort of setting. Um, in terms of how that's being done now, like um, from industry standard, uh, that's not even being considered, I assume, right? The, the, the fluids within some of these like systems, whether they be the cardiovascular valves or i.e. Uh, fluids within like some bone structures as well. So that's probably not being considered right now at all, is it? It's not considered right now for the, like the patient specific because it's really time consuming and it's the, the cost of the computer cost is really high. Uh, for the results, results that you are going to have. So, so far, the results that you are expecting in a simulation is something that a surgeon can predict by their own. So there is like a couple of, we need more understanding of the flow simulation uh, everywhere from the universities, from the companies, in order to have like a real, um, real solution or a real answer that can help direct to the process of the design process of the implants yeah you know a lot of our listeners are like generation z which is like post-secondary or in high school and for those of them who are interested in pursuing the same fields as you what would you say to them do it <laughs> no, no the, the idea is to start first understanding the um, like the process is something that you can really easily find on internet a yeah. uh, I mean, understand that everything happens from a really nice medical image. So there are a lot of investment also there because the idea is to have faster uh, tax. For example, it takes longer with less radiation or the idea is to use MRIs. So there is like a field of knowledge that or um, opportunity to improve uh, there in the medical image segment. Then in the 3D reconstruction, there is like another segment that you can explore. And in that segment, something that is happening right now is the um, automatic segmentation or that process to convert a medical image into a 3D model is happening thanks to the um, uh, artificial intelligence or those uh, advancements. It's happening right now. They are doing this automatically. The other segment is the design process. 
So to understand what are the restrictions, what are the materials and mechanical properties that you will need, what are the potential new materials, something that can be bioabsorbable, for example. And it's something that I know it's happening also, but in really specific uh, medical segments so that you can have a material that absorbs by himself and you can you don't have to do another surgery or especially for the babies or for the pediatric pediatric. The other topic or the other field that you can explore is the manufacturing process. So in there is again the materials, uh, but it's also the hardware process because so far the machines are are still expensive or are too big or are too, too slow for the process. So there is like, again, an opportunity to improve, especially in the time that is taking all the, the 3D printing, printing process and also the post uh, process uh, of that 3D printing. Uh, because it's known when you have your 3D printing like ready, you have then to clean it, you then have to, to remove certain parts. If you are using, for example, I don't know, FDM or stereolithography. So you have to post-process the, the 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And so there are like different segments. The good or the nice thing is that you can choose from all of them, or you can learn from all. If it has like a little bit from all, and it will be also important for, um, for applying in, it can be in health or it can be in, I don't know, architecture or whatever field that you want to, mm -hmm. to apply. Mm -hmm. um, going back to uh, what you just mentioned for uh, our Gen Z audience uh, on how to learn. Um, so say, for, for example, as you just mentioned uh, from our previous conversation, when I asked you about the computing power um, and how fast and how quickly things are changing, do you see um, a change to the, the way our students are being taught in our universities possibly even our secondary institutions and what do you suggest to then those people for example like someone who's listening someone's watching right now who might be like 17 18 starting university in their last year of like their secondary education heading off to post-secondary especially in, in after this year after when everything's like uh, changed either from like an economic standpoint where there's so much competition in the market to not just get a job but rather to build your niche right to focus your niche in two for recruitment and three just like the rapid pace of how everything's going um, do you suggest that people pursue, I know you met, you touched upon open source educate, open source software prior. What, what could people look for? Like young people right now, maybe from your, from your experience, what do you suggest to young people right now when it comes to them being like being told in other industries that they are able to do open source learning? So for example, if someone wants to learn a new programming language, or if someone wants to pursue how to design something or how to film edit, right? So they can pursue these courses online from open source sites, but something like a, a from a medical standpoint, it's often been assumed that because it's such a high level of barrier of entry, people think that, oh, I have to be like a doctor, or which you are not, but you said it yourself. Like some people assume that, oh, I have to be an MD mm -hmm. or a medical practitioner to like learn in this field. What do you suggest to people who wanna, who can, who might be able to pursue like open source learning? And wh where, do you, where do you believe that they should start? Like whether it be like a knowledge gap and like, where do you think that they should be able to start first of all? Okay, so, um... My recommendation is to understand the basics because even if you learn one software or the other or whatever, all the software will evolve really quick. But if you understand the basics, you will be able to adapt 
to any kind of software that is in the market, you will be able to even recommend some kind of improvements even for those software. So my recommendation is to understand the basics, to un really understand what manufac additive manufacturing means, what are like the, the basic things for that, also for the simulations. Um, for example, at my university, the focus in the simulation part was the really math behind all the simulation. So we were able to understand the equations. We were able to solve manually most of the time the equations because we want, or the idea was to really understand what was happening behind in the software, behind in the computer. Because if you understand that, you will be able to handle with every kind of software, every kind of process. So that is my recommendation. In another, a second one, maybe it's because I'm a Latin American person, is to take advantage of the internet, take advantage of the global system that we have right now, that we, will, we are able to join any course, for example, in the MIT or any course, whenever or whatever there in, in internet. So it's, it's important to take advantage of that. In order to be bilingual is important, or at least to try to be, uh, because this kind of solutions or this kind of developments are happening uh, worldwide. So if you are able to, to understand what someone in Germany is doing new or someone in Israel or whatever, so it will be really important to, to be like update all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you just mentioned, um, when it came to, to learning behind these things and open source communities, do you think that... Um, maybe from an educational perspective or maybe your company could be the leader at the forefront i'm not sure exactly if it is but um more of these so-called uh communities per se online like take advantage of the global community or maybe build one yourself in particular with like people who are interested in learning the exact same thing because I, I know you mentioned like you from university you were encouraged to learn the math behind the or the abstraction behind the simulations right from like a mathematical model and many people uh, myself included personally um some might say that the abstraction if I want to like be an industry leader necessarily, I can avoid the abstraction and just jump into the industry or jump into the application. So for those people that, um, I guess would like to learn hands-on immediately, would you suggest like also maybe looking for like mentors online, especially in a global community like this, as we're headed into post 2020, we don't know what, how everything's going to shift in terms of how we do education, how we also learn online as well. That could also have uh, tremendous outcomes. Like in terms of actually, Sorry. No. Actually, in TechFit, we are creating or we are working from 2021 in a network of education network because we understand that it is um, a requirement, not only for the young people that is starting, but also for the, the surgeons that are there and they know that the technology is around them, but they don't understand what's happening. They don't understand the useful on the disadvantage or the advantage things of the, um, the technology. So we are trying to create that network between the, the people who has a lot of experience in this area and the rest of the people that is uh, wanting to, to learn. And I will keep you posted on that. We can, you can follow us in, in TechFit uh, company, it's TechFit-DS. Um, um, because we are working on that. It's really important. And from now, so you have to miss between the hands-on uh, activities and also the, the basics, because otherwise you will learn how to use a software. 
And if the software changes, if, and if the software doesn't work, what are you going to do in that case? So it doesn't, it is not like the key point to understand to, to know how the software does the things. So right. it's most important or the, the most important thing is to understand why the software is doing this process or what are the other option if I cannot follow this process, if I have to use another software, for instance. Yeah. Uh, I know places in Europe like Sweden and Netherlands, you know, there's a lot of startups coming out with like climate change initiatives. Do you think Latin America is, is the like sort of leader for like 3D prosthetics and the, the type of work you do? So if someone was interested in going into that field, do you think they should uh, consider maybe like studying or getting involved in companies in Latin America? Um, fortunately, no. It's happening in the U.S. and Europe so far, like all the new technologies and so on. So, so far in Latin America, we are uh, using the like technology that is already developed in US and in Europe to create some practical things. But there are few uh, developments or few uh, really new things coming up from Latin America. So what we are doing right now, so it's a shame because we have like the knowledge and we have like the, the intention to, to develop more, but our resources are limited or really bad distributed. Uh, but the thing is here in Latin America, there is a lot of startups working in the practical thing or creating the products uh, using the, the technology. Oh, Brazil, in Brazil, there are uh, software developments talking about specifically in Vesalius, is a Brazilian software. Um, but I don't know any other build or any other software or, or development built here in Latin America. Mm -hmm. But at least I don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you again with regards to how we can improve education, with okay. in particular with regards to actually being actually creating leaders, as you said, people who actually have the intuition or the in, or the so-called ambition to solve some of these problems. I know you said like understand the basics. Sometimes often I think schooling either A, sometimes people just skip over it. B, schooling probably doesn't do a good job as kind of ex explaining why they're teaching what they're doing. Or when particularly some students go to their post-secondary, their universities, um, it's sort of like, like a big broad spectrum of classes. And then sometimes people don't know exactly where to focus or there's not really that much uh, explanation or abstraction explanation behind certain concepts in biology or in, from an engineering perspective as you are um, in the math behind the, some of these softwares. Where do you think the education system can change itself? Maybe it's changing on its own as we already spoke about with open source technology. Do you, as you said, uh, with regards to TechFit developing uh, its own online community, do you do you have a suggestion for ed uh, for education or educator education curriculum makers around the world or some of these education departments that kind of change the way they approach uh, teaching people about uh, subjects like math in particular? Yeah, yeah, but it's a really long topic to a lot of recommendations that I can do for the educational uh, system. So the thing is also far, what I know so far, they are doing like a not practical things. So you can combine those spaces with the practical it can be a recommendation for the universities or the educational system. Um, and also to join 
uh, their students with another universities because most of the time you are really close and you think that you only know or that you are only able to do what is in your university. And that's not reality so far. Mm -hmm. So if a recommendation for the individual and also for the educators is to connect the students with other universities, with other labs, with challenges that are happening in the, in the reality, in the region, or with companies that are starting in the region and they need someone young to, to do like practice. So to connect more the students, because we spend, at least talking about me, we spend like five years thinking that the only thing that you are able to do is, uh, I don't know, inside four walls. It's, it's not the point. So you're so far or to really spread your voice and to really understand from or to learn from other people worldwide. Mm -hmm. So the connection will be like like a point. And also the scholarships. There is a lot of scholarships uh, that you are able to, to join or to to try to, to participate. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the education system, as you just mentioned, a, more, a bit more practicality, do you suggest maybe, I know it's getting competitive for people to now secure internships, because it used to be that internships were the solution, right? Like you would intern at a company and then you could learn on the job. And it does help fill the gap between, as you mentioned, the people who are trying to study the academic part, as well as the people trying to study the, or trying to get their hands on experience. So do you think that within that space in particular, young people shouldn't feel shy in particular, even if they're missing some of the core skills, learn the basics, but they can learn it while being mentored or maybe even interning for free at the moment with the company leader. Do you think that that should be encouraged as well? Do you encourage people, young people to do that? Yeah, for sure. And it's something related with the patient. So if you feel that uh, you like a topic that you are, you have like the patient to do something, go for the line because it is really difficult to work in something that you don't love or something that you don't really like. Mm -hmm. So it's like um, to, you are going to be encouraged in something that you really like. Mm -hmm. So try to find that kind of topics. A really easy way is just to list the topics that you don't like. So that way the list will be shorter, the things that you like. Mm -hmm. and, and then move for those topics. It's something that helps me all the time. So when I feel that I don't know where to focus myself or what to do. I list the things that I don't want to do at that specific decision making process that I want to do. And then I start uh, like checking, okay, I will try with this. If it doesn't happen in the way that I want it, I will move to the other and then to the other. So it, yes, you have to be more proactive. You have to, to really show the world that you are able, that you want to learn, that you don't have to be perfect to start something. Because if you are waiting to be perfect to start, you won't start never, never. Yeah. So it's most important to learn in the way, but that you have the attitude to, to learn, to say, okay, yes, I, I'm not perfect right now, but I'm trying. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is really easy if you are following something that you have patience of. Otherwise, you will be just, I don't know, wait, looking for the window or I don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was gonna say, is the did you use the list to figure out that you didn't want to be a doctor or surgeon? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Actually, I least like okay, no, I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> I want to be in the health system, but I don't want to be a surgeon. Or... <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, one more question before we go to the last part, which is our three takeaways. Um, I want your prediction on the f future of the industry in particular. Maybe you can expand your uh, answer. Maybe towards. Maybe you can speak on the medical community per se. Um, what is your plan? What is oh sorry? What is your outlook with regards well, to the next five years, especially post twenty uh, twenty? I guess the way our world is right now. What is your sort of um, five year? Maybe possibly stretch it to ten years. Where do you see the medical community with regards to the same precision surgery principle? The idea of personalization. Do you see that? moving into a field, let's say like genomics, for example, where, where I know that um, that's not exactly your field, but I know that there's been plenty of investment and plenty of work being done in personalizing genetic treatments, along with treatments with regards to delivering pharmaceutical and medicine and biochemical drugs to the blood, to the bloodstream and to various systems around the body. Um, what is your prediction with regards, maybe you can comment A, on the 3D printing revolution, how, fa how where other, what other areas possibly do you see it touching uh, to the surgery surgical uh, precision surgical area and then three maybe possibly even the rest of the medical community well um according with the research so there is like, like a couple of companies who, who does research regarding these topics there is one called bs bis research and uh, in their trends they say that in the coming years even for 2022 and, and then the second 2028 they are expecting this market or this specific uh, 3D printed in medicine to grow annually like 23%. So it's something that is growing really, really fast. Not only in the um, implant market, but also in the 3D printing uh, procedures or in the 3D printing revol revolution, to say so. So it's something that is growing uh, really fast. If you compare this kind of annual growth with other markets that are, for example, in 8% or even 1%. So you will notice that the health system will require all the years, all the time will require our attention, our resources and our global um, like resources in that. If you talk about, for example, oncology, yesterday in February 4 was the World Cancer, Cancer Day. We still have a lot, a lot to know about the cancer, about the treatments, about the um, early detections, about preventions. So the healthcare system or the healthcare market is growing mm -hmm. and it will work all the time because we are humans and we are expecting to last more and more years. And of course, the people that are eldest is, requires more resources from the healthcare system. So this market is growing all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know it goes back to your mission statement, I think I've seen on your LinkedIn and your profile, which is the goal to democratize uh, your your ability to scale the, and, to, and the scalability, to scale this to basically most hospitals, particularly not just in wealthier countries, I say also um, upcoming newly industrializing nations as well, particularly Sub-Saharan Africa and South America and Latin America, along with Asia. Uh, you see like democratization as being, Another thing, because in our previous episode, we sort of spoke about uh, this trend of democratization of not just technologies, but uh, the way we think about things, primarily after 2020, considering what happened in our world. Do you see democratization as being something that doesn't touch like necessarily like a space, for example, like cryptocurrencies, but like everything, even Medicaid, medicine, 
um, the way we think about uh, AI, the way we think about machine learning, the way we think about potentially even computing power? Like, do you see a movement towards decentralization versus centralization? Well, it's something that I hope happens. Mm -hmm. So it's, and I feel that it will happen if more and more companies start um, offering these kind of solutions because those demo, uh, the the democratic part or make this more standardized. Uh, it will depends most on the governments and most of the, um, uh, for example, here in Colombia is the insure. Um, insurance systems or the yeah the people who really pays for the procedures mm -hmm. so if they know or if they find that there are options there is not only the standard things but also like these custom made solutions they will have options to decide so it will become a step by step more democratic for for the rest of the solutions mm -hmm. so I, I guess it's, it will happen and i hope it happened mm -hmm. I don't know when, but the thing is, for for example, for instance, in this uh, pandemic, we realized that we have a lot of holes in our healthcare systems. And it's something that pop up everywhere in Mexico, in Brazil, they it just pop up because we understand that our healthcare system was not protecting us as a person or as a citizens. So it's we realize about that. So our hope is that since we have already realized that we are bad, we can change it. Pursue, <laughs> yes, or try to find another way to do the things. Mm -hmm. Innovate, democratize for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that brings to the end of our question prompts. But before we wrap things up, uh, we just want to move on to a recurring segment of our show where we ask our guests to give us their three takeaways. These takeaways can be about anything said on the podcast or even advice you want to list, uh, leave for our Gen Z listeners. So with that being said, what are your three takeaways? Three. Okay. So the the first uh, is that if you are listening this kind of podcast, if you are listening this kind of um, yes of content, is because you are looking for be more proactive in the things that you want to do, or you are trying to be update in all the topics. Try to connect with people worldwide, try to find more and more information and to compare what it's in the internet, not to, to believe in everything, but compare and, and have like a, your own knowledge. Um, another thing is that we understand that the healthcare market is growing and we understand that we need more resources and more development. So if you like this kind of topics and if, if you like this kind of ideas, all the new people or the people that want to, to join us in this kind of solutions are welcome and in all of the fields. As I mentioned, the medical image, the 3D reconstruction, or the um, designs or the 3D printing. So you are welcome in any of the fields. And the last one uh, can be here yeah, like um, for the education try to, it's more like a recommendation not to follow only what you are learning in a university, try to move forward on that. And for the healthcare system to really understand that we need more patient specific solutions. Mm -hmm. so, something that can help, can be more cost effective for the system itself because mm -hmm. you are avoiding a second, a third 
surgery. You are avoiding time consuming in the OR. You are, con you are really, really doing savings. So try to understand that and to move forward in this revolution. Perfect. Yeah. And where can our audience find you? Like social media or websites? Yeah, I will promote the company because it's where I'm more active right now. So you can find that mostly in LinkedIn as TechFix Digital Surgery. And if you Google that in Google, sorry, if you Google that, uh, you will find us also is techfit-ds or in Facebook or in Instagram is TechFit Digital Surgery. And we are growing also in this uh, education network because it's, we really understand that it's something that is missing right now. Perfect. So if you guys are listening, you guys can basically <clears throat> catch uh, and stay in touch with Melissa uh, for, for regards to her company pages. And you yep. can, that will essentially keep you uh, in tabs on some of the latest innovations, some of the latest things that they're working on. In particular, as Melissa mentioned earlier, the education network that they're working on for the, their goal for 2021 and moving on into the future. So if you are interested in open source education, if you're interested in getting on board but don't know what to do, uh, first follow their company pages. We'll link them in the description. And then you'll also be able to keep tabs on what's exactly happening, what areas of study in particular that uh, Melissa mentioned in her three takeaways. And basically start doing some research with regards to medical uh, MRIs, medical resonance imaging, or anything else with regards to 3D simulation technology or 3D printing. And with that, we would like to end the show there. Melissa, thank you so much for being a uh, guest on our podcast today. We would like to thank you. And for the audience, we'd like to thank you as well. So we'll see you guys later. Okay, Bye. thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, comment, and share. Check us out for an audio-only experience on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other outlets. Follow us on all of our social media, and please consider supporting us on Patreon. All of these links will be in the description. That's it for us today. Welcome to the new world.